Well, greetings and welcome back to Season 1, Episode 42 of the Clarity Podcast. This podcast is all about providing clarity, insight, and encouragement in life and mission. My name is Aaron Santemeyer, and I'm going to be your host. Before we jump into the interview today with Dr. Jim Bradford, we have the phenomenal opportunity once again to sit down with our friend Dick Foth um, on Back Channel of Foth. Dick, it's so great to be with you again today. Thank you, Aaron. It's wonderful to be with you always. Dick and I were just spending some time talking about um, vanilla and and um, Madagascar and all the, the uniqueness of, of the place that I've got to call home for the last 14 years. So, Dick, one of the questions that was sent in was, what impact have you seen from COVID um, as it relates to our churches in the United States, travel and um, continent-wide plans? And how do you anticipate the church is going to rebound rebound from this? And will the church rebound from from this current situation? Those are several very big themes that um, people will always ask somebody my age because I'm 78 and a half almost. They'll say, in your lifetime, have you ever, ever seen anything like this? And of course I would say, no, but my parents did and so forth. This is a, this is a situation where our, not just the disease, but our responses or reactions to it has created a, some unbelievable tensions. Hmm. Uh, I had a friend who's, who said, and he's been in government for many years, who said, you know, the challenge with this, and I'm just talking about the United States now, is what happens when you tell 80% of the country that they are not essential. Wow just psychologically what that does it it sets you up and it's and it's because we don't know how this disease is going to be transmitted we're discovering as we go we know how viruses work in general <clears throat> but this is and we're still finding out five six months into it right we're still or longer eight months in some cases so so and the the other piece is here comes the disease. Usually when you have typhus or smallpox or whatever you quarantine those people in this case you quarantine everybody. Yeah. <laughs> what do you do when the whole world is quarantined? You know, I, you know, it's just so separate is the name of the game. Everyone mm -hmm. in a, so in the church family, everyone in the church family is separated just like everybody else. If we were going through this without zoom or without FaceTime or Skype mm -hmm. or without internet or phones, um, I, I think you would see the death rate from uh, loneliness, from hmm. giving up, like in concentration camps, Viktor Frankl says, when they lost hope, hmm. they just they just died. Yeah. Um, so that's the challenge: is we are not designed for separate. The kingdom of darkness is about separate. And I I tell people, well, I, if you don't believe there's a hell, you've just been touched by it, because wow. that has to do with, you know. Uh, I love C.S. Lewis's book, The Great Divorce, where they get a chance to go to heaven for a day to see if they want to be there, or they go to hell, and hell is the dark place, and you go there to, you expect to see some of the truly greats, Caligula and Tilla the Hun and, hmm. and Hitler, and by the time you get there, they're so far away in the dark, you never find them. Wow. And so it has that feel to it, doesn't it? Hmm. And so, so how do you touch in a no touch world yeah. and of course you can't keep preschoolers from touching you can't they'll just run up grab your legs 
So I think for the church, we have to touch in the spirit. I think, I think that's where authentic prayer, I think that's where caring for each other that way. And because we do have the internet and phones, we need to really work at, at uh, staying in touch. So the question was, what impact have you seen from COVID as it relates to our home churches? Pastors are really going through it because two or three reasons. First of all, it takes about three times as much effort to, quote, produce a Sunday experience as it would if we were able to gather. When you're a preacher, you end up being like a TV anchor because you're looking at a camera and not at a crowd. So there's no amen corner when you're recording something in your, in your house, you know, and, it, and I've had, I've done this a number of times now. So I think, first of all, we need to work at staying in communication uh, actively. Um, and of course you're overseas. And so doing the Skype thing or communicating by computer rather than on the phone is sometimes the better part of wisdom and economics. Yeah. I think we need to understand that certain things will never be the same. When people say, will we go back to normal? The answer is, well, that's gone. So there's hmm. a new normal, but nobody knows what that is. Hmm. So we were told early on, this thing could go for a year or more. And along the way, depending on who you listen to, they said, well, I think a month or five months or four months. What we're finding is that in various manifestations, it's still going and it will be going for some time. Yeah. And so certain things will never be the same. Well, anybody who's gone through tragedy knows that already. If you've lost a loved one, if there's been death, been an auto accident. Uh, and, and so human beings are designed to keep moving when things are non-repetitive. I think certain things will come back stronger. When we have a chance to assemble we'll be more grateful for being together hmm. than we've ever been in our lives because we have, we have experienced the hellishness of being apart. Yeah. And um, so I think those are just some, some thoughts about the church and where we are at this moment. That's good. That's good. Dick, um, long question that also came in along the same lines is, is um, what changes do you foresee that pastors and missionaries will need to make to adapt as this, to this new norm or this new, um, the new world that we're living in? Um, the thought that came to mind when I read this question is that, especially for missionaries, is that with home churches and with others, um, you need more contacts in more compact ways. More, you know, the quarterly newsletter is not gonna get it. And so uh, more, more contact and more compact. Um, Ruth and I uh, still have people who give to us uh, because of our work where we're working with business and government leaders and other kinds of things. And so we, we did a, a midsummer news thing just now and sent it out and it was mostly pictures. So I think more pictures, less words. Um, 
you know, I don't think people read our newsletters very much anyway. I have to be candid <laughs> and, and, I, and I'm with the listeners because we send out newsletters. And so what do you do? What do you do in a world of words and yeah. with which we are inundated to get somebody's attention? And I think people want to hear, want to see you and they want to understand not only what you are going through, but also what you've discovered. Good, bad, or ugly. I think, I think that's a direction we need to go in terms of pastors and missionaries in order to adapt to what's going on. Because that whole scenario, the whole structure of how folks are funded and everybody listening knows that that's been changing dramatically over the last 10 to 15 years. For sure. and, and this impacts it uh, even more. So more contact in more compact ways that more messages that are shorter, more picks, less words. That's good. That's good. Well, Dick, we appreciate your wisdom and insight. It's always a joy to, to spend time with you and learn from you and um, your wisdom and your perspective. We're going to go ahead and jump into the interview today with Dr. Jim Bradford on the growth area of people care, investing in the emotional and spiritual health of your team. We discussed ministry transitions, the Bradford prayer, and sensitivity to the Holy Spirit and life and mission. Well, there's no time better than now to get started. So here we go. Greetings and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. So excited to be here today with a new friend, um, Pastor Jim Bradford. And for all those that are complaining, I asked him before we jumped in if I should refer to him as Pastor or Doctor, and he said he would love to be called Pastor Jim. And so I'm honoring and respecting him. Looking forward to learning from him and him today. Pastor Jim, would you go ahead and um, maybe introduce yourself to the audience um, today? Yeah. Uh, thanks, Aaron. Great to be with you. I, I backed into ministry uh, as a person who loved Jesus, loved science. I have a PhD in aerospace engineering from the University of Minnesota. Really wanted to do rocket science with my life. And my dad was a businessman, but very active church volunteer, loved Jesus. So I thought, I, you know, he, he taught me you don't have to be a, a pastor to be a minister, yeah. all ministers. And so I was kind of living out of that life model, really interested in science. And when I was at the University of Minnesota, um, I transferred there as a junior, and I, I, I became a part of a little Bible study the Assemblies of God had started with Chi Alpha, and it, it turned into what eventually, after I graduated, became a university church. We had a, 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 an unusual, very sovereign spiritual breakthrough a year and a half into my years at graduate school at the University of Minnesota. And uh, so I pastored pastored there. And then I, I had the unique privilege of 35 years old after nine years after I graduated uh, from the university and had continued just as a campus pastor, then a university church pastor. Uh, I went to Southern California and followed Dr. George Wood, who had been elected to district office, full-time job, required that he leave the church, Newport Mesa uh, Christian Center that he had pastored for 17 years. So that was one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. But that's where I got to know Dr. Wood. And uh, years <laughs> later, I was pastoring at uh, the one place I thought I'd never never say I'll never live there. I used to say I'd never live in Springfield. So anyway, I'd been pastoring at Central Assembly for five and a half years. Dr. Wood was now the general superintendent. He had a, a vacancy, midterm vacancy come up unexpectedly in the general secretary position. Uh, and so he came next door, said that you wouldn't want to follow me again because he used to be general secretary. 
And uh, after a few agonizing days, I said yes to doing that. So for nearly 10 years, I served as the general secretary for the Sons of God. We, so, so my signature be on credential cards. That's how most people knew me. Yeah. And then, um, and then uh, <clears throat> uh, the pastor who followed me at Central uh, stayed six and a half, seven years and left, uh, resigned. And so the church asked me if I'd come back and be an interim pastor. That was three and a half years ago. Hmm. So I was an interim pastor for nearly a year there while being general secretary. And uh, that's an exhausting life doing both. I was going to say. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, it was right next door. <laughs> During that time, uh, Doug Clay was elected as general superintendent. And so, so I said, I'll continue general secretary, uh, you know, until you're ready to replace me with a, another appointment. So eventually he, uh, he elected, uh, he, he brought forth uh, Donna Barrett, who's now our general secretary, wonderful lady. And that gave me the opportunity to step away. And by that point, I'd been elected full time back to the church. So I never thought I'd go back to a church I used to pastor. Never thought I'd pastor again, actually, other than oh. perhaps do some interim work. So I'm, uh, I'm living out a totally sovereign, unexpected season in my life, pastoring a church I, I dearly love. And it's fun to be back at again. Wow. So wow. They, they still joke that I'm the rocket science. You know, they have these t-shirts. <laughs> my pastor is a rocket science. <laughs> Good deal. Well, that's a, that's a story in and of itself. So, Pastor Jim, we normally start off the podcast. What we've learned is, is people have learned uh, a lot from our, our life experiences and the challenges that we've run into and maybe learning experiences. And today we're going to talk about um, investing in the emotional and spiritual lives of others. Is there a lesson or two that you've learned along the way or maybe a story that, that would share what a lesson you've learned about investing in the emotional and spiritual lives of other people? Yeah, um, that's what we're all about, right? Um, <clears throat> as reproducers. I've um, over the years I've learned uh, if I want to get to know somebody, you know, kind of get to a core of who a person is. One angle is to ask them the question: Who, besides your parents, uh, have who's influenced you the most beside your parents, and uh, and then why is that? And so it's it's amazing that almost everybody. I've ever asked that question to has been invested in by somebody that has really influenced them. Sometimes that investment can be uh, from a distance a little bit if they embody something admire, but, but generally when then I ask them to explain why of all the tens of thousands of people you've met in your life, why that one person influenced you like nobody else influenced you. Yeah. Uh, yeah there, there's a range of answers, but, but the two most common answers were, first of all, besides admiring something in their life. First of all, that person took, um, paid special attention to me. Hmm. And often that, that translates into time. They just took time to be with me or they took interest in me. Uh, once in a while you'd hear a story like, oh, this was a famous speaker came to speak. I was in backstage. And you know, even though they're so famous, they actually took five minutes and they really focused on me and asked me a question that drew something out of me and gave me a word of encouragement and and i've carried that with the rest of my i mean those kind of things can happen very very short-term one-time things but usually it's been person who have taken time to come into relationship with you uh to, took just personal notice of you and the other the other answer uh is not only did they pay attention to me 
but they believed in me in a way I didn't believe in myself. One of the most powerful things we do for people is help them see God's hand on their lives. Help them, if you can help a person visualize their potential, it's very powerful. I know just from being a pastor, it's always saddens me when I hear this, but, but I, uh, I love to do this with other people. And sometimes people say to me, like, you're the, you're the first person that's ever really believed in me. I mean, sometimes my parents didn't even really believe in me. And, and, and I go, how, how tragic that it would be such a rare thing to have someone else in our life who, who only one in 10,000 really believed in us, really mm-hmm. saw potential in us and believed in us. Mm-hmm. And if, if you can, if, if, you'll, if you'll love people enough to give them some time, Proverbs 20 verse 5 says, a wise person draws out the heart of another. Um, and, and if you spend time with a person, not just do all the talking yourself, but learn to draw their hearts out, just pay attention, act like, or actually not just act, but be a person who's genuinely loves them enough that you're going to sit and listen to them for 15 minutes without interrupting them. I mean, whoever does that in our lives. Mm-hmm. And, um, so you, you pay them special attention and then you help them to see who God has made them and you help them visualize the potential. You believe in them basically. Yeah. And uh, f- for people who have been in a relationship with someone like that, they tend to say those are the most influential people. in their lives. Mm. And uh, I, you know, I, I'm not cut really cynically in my life. I'm not a cynical person by nature, but can make me too naive uh, sometimes. Yeah. But on the other hand, the upside of that, yeah. of being a little naive, is that I just find it easy to believe in people. And I do believe there's something supernatural about that. I do know the darkest, dirtiest parts of people's lives. They sit in my office and confess things to me as a pastor that nobody else on earth knows. Hmm. And then I run into them in Walmart three days later. You know, and yeah. you, you, you got to keep those pastoral eyes. You, you can't define them by their loss or by their yeah. darkness. You've got to define them in terms of what they're becoming. And I found as I began to grow in this as a pastor in investing in others, it was even hard to pray for them. You know, their prayer request is my aunt's having hip surgery, you know, okay. So I'll pray for you. But I can't stop there. It's it's like, but what's your aunt becoming and what are you becoming? And and, and you you just kind of live with this sense of what people can be. And uh, then you begin feeding into that. So, you know, I'd done this for years as a pastor and I was, uh, the first time I pastored at Central, this has probably been 12 years ago. I was driving home one Sunday uh, after probably there were 2000 people in the sanctuary that morning in the two services and between the two services. And I, I felt like the spirit of God said to me, what, um, why did all those people come today? Hmm. And, and then uh, he, I felt like he answered the question for me. He said, those people did not come so that you would get to preach. Whether, hmm. You know, you might like preaching. You might, yeah. you might just get a kick out of investing yeah. in other people. Right. Yeah. Uh, it may make you fulfilled. We, we do this for a lot of self-serving reasons, unfortunately. And I felt the Holy spirit say to me, no, those people didn't come so that you would get to do your thing. Hmm. You got to do your thing. You got to preach today because you're a servant to the potential of every person that's out there. Wow. And, and, you know, it just jolted me. I, yeah. uh, I, I, even though I knew that theologically, even though I, I tried to build a leadership style around believing in people, you know, uh, if you become a little bit successful at it, it can get 
it gets reframed in different ways. You're not doing this for you. And if, if we if we live our lives that way, like we're doing this because we're a servant to the potential of everybody around us. And our hmm. biggest job is to cheerlead that potential and help them develop. It means you never even prepare a sermon without saying, how, how, how does this draw the best out of people? What application just helps develop people to go the next step towards reaching their potential? It's not like the spotlight's on me anymore. The spotlight's on me only so that I can equip people to have the spotlight on them and they can reproduce for Christ. So, wow. Wow. so I just think, I just think giving people, loving people enough to give them your time and then believing in them, you know, that's potent when it comes to investing in ways that really make a difference in people's lives. I don't want to put you on the spot. This wasn't in the, the pre-questions, but is there a person that believed in you? Because Pastor Jim, as you share that, you share that's a passion. Is Were there people that believed in you and that has helped fuel your passion? Yeah. Yes. <clears throat> yeah. yeah, I've I've had several. I had a, a friend. Oh, boy, we're doing this on the last week of January, uh, of July, right? The last yes. day of July when we're yeah. recording this. Yeah. So it was August 50 years ago. I was just starting my freshman year, I was 17 years old at a state university. And a guy, a guy by the name of Dwayne, I happened to meet him just before school started. He was a spirit-filled brother. He wasn't AG, but he was like passionately Pentecostal guy. He was two years older than me. He was, he was a junior. I was a freshman. And, um, and he was leading an intervarsity Christian fellowship group. And, and you know what? He, I called it discipleship by dragging around. He just put his arm around me. He was dragging me around and he saw, he saw potential. He saw, he saw that I could be something. And I never led a thing in my life, right? I was short, shy, watched Star Trek too much, wanted to be a rocket scientist, but I did love Jesus. <laughs> I, had nothing, I had nothing else going for me. And I, I, I met none of the metrics, you know, like you're a leader on the playground in eighth grade. I mean, I, I met none of those metrics. I hated speech. I dreaded speech classes. And so I was not your likely candidate, but he just saw potential, I guess, in me. And, wow. and uh, he just started dragging me around. He didn't even give me leadership lectures. He just took me to prayer meetings, took me to campus ministry meetings, took me to leadership meetings, started an outreach downtown with a coffee house. And he took me to that and just had me help him. And so that, that, that was a great experience. The other person would be Dr. George Wood. Mm who I had the privilege of working for, for nearly, you know, for, uh, it was nearly 10 years uh, when I was general secretary. But when I went to, when I followed him, he became a great advocate. Mm. Um, I knew a lot of, it was a very large church. It was not like the university church I'd been pastoring in Minneapolis. And uh, it, it was my first year there was the hardest year of my life, mm. but he had my back. Uh, I know a lot of his friends would say to him, you know, oh, he's a very nice young man. He's no George Wood. But he's a very nice young man, you know, and he would always have my back, even when I started changing some things and, um, and whatnot. And it, it just became a wonderful experience. We became lifelong friends. We still connect. And he, he was a guy who saw things in me that I didn't see. And yeah. he, he would stretch me to step up to things. He would believe in me. He'd express that confidence in me verbally. Uh, he would say, you can do this. Um, um, I'd be self-doubting and he'd, he'd just be that constant in my life that even it once said to me, you know, I'm not mystical by nature, he said, but I just, I just knew you were going to be the next pastor here. Just saw God's hand on you. I felt like you have some things to say. And I didn't think I had that much to say. I mean, but when you hear people just verbalize this stuff to you, you know, it, yeah. it does start drawing things out of you. It's awesome. That's awesome. 
Pastor Jim, you've, you've, you've described just a little bit about some notable transitions from a rocket scientist to pastor and national leadership to pastor. In that process, um, how have you learned it to hear God's voice in these, in these transitions? Has it been the same? And how do you fine tune? Because I think a lot of us right now with COVID and all that's going on, there's transitions happening, whether we want them or to or not. And, and what lessons have you learned and that we could put into practice in, in hearing God's voice in times of in maybe instability and transition? Yeah. Um, uh, first of all, I think the baseline to hearing God's voice is, is two, two things, if possible. Maybe a little easier when you're pastoring a church. I always tried to pastor a church like I was going to be there the rest of my life. You know, you, you, you don't go to place and pan and plan on this just being short term. That's, that's not always realistic in, you, in, in possibly a cross-cultural missions context where you know you're going to be an MA for two years and you're there mainly do language acquisition and then you're right. going to be reassigned. So I, I do understand those realities. But basically, you, you do whatever you're doing. You know, you're only going to be there two years. You, you throw your heart into it. It doesn't mean like, eh, I just kind of get by here. Yeah, because yeah, it's not really where I'm going to be. You know, you you... You always expect more of yourself than you do of others, and, uh, and 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 you do whatever you do with all your heart. Paul says, and so mm. that's the baseline. The other is just living in the presence of God, and it's amazing when you just try to abide in the presence of God, just constantly listening to His Spirit. Um, I like to meditate on Scripture. I read chapters of Scripture, then go back and just one find one verse that I read just to go back to for five minutes and just meditate on. I just feel like like God's word kind of conditions us just to be sensitive to how God's speaking to us. Um, with one exception, major decisions have usually taken me months to make. I never try to make them when I'm tired or exhausted or I'm angry. So uh, <clears throat> let the emotions die out. But what what is that voice inside of you that's not the loudest voice, but it's the most, it's the most consistent voice. It's just, you know, so days you're feeling on top of the world, you know, it's just, it's not the loudest voice, but it's just there. Yeah. And then a few days later, when you just feel like, oh, I've totally failed. I'm just defeated. I don't think anything will work out. That voice is still just there. So it doesn't follow your emotional moods. Hmm. And anger is very, very distorting. Uh, if you're hurt, it'll really distort your ability to process even God's voice. So that's why I like to give it time. And usually most big decisions have taken time. Yeah. And I'll just, one day I wake up, I should do this. Next day I wake up, I shouldn't do that. <laughs> you know, maybe I shouldn't. The next day, oh, maybe I should. And, and I used to worry about that, but just out of years of experience of listening to the Lord, I, I just found that soon his voice is the one that wins out with time. And it's mm -hmm. just that quieter, but most persistent voice. Yeah. And uh, then sometimes I will, like, like I, I, I used to first learn this with the gifts of the Spirit. If you're in a meeting and you feel like God's giving you a word, you know, I, I'll just, this sounds terrible, but I'll, I'll just assume not, that it's not from God, hmm. and try to go on. And yeah. if I can, it probably wasn't from God, you know, yeah. or just something for me, not for everybody else. Yeah. But if your heart starts pounding and you just can't get it out of your head and just keeps coming back to you and back to you, right? And so like when I left the University of Minnesota to go and follow Dr. Wood in Southern California, the church he was leaving, um, I was sure it was a ministry suicide assignment. So I said twice to doing it. I was 35. There'd been no interim pastor. He had been there 17 years. Uh, he had a gift set well beyond mine. Uh, so I said no twice to going there, even though it was Southern California. 
And, uh, you know, that was a good exercise. And because I, I didn't know that God has spoken to me clearly enough. So I assumed I'm going to stay where I am. That's kind of how I lived, you know, unless God really tells me I'm staying where I am. And uh, it became very spiritually dramatic after, after I said my final no to going. I mean, God just worked me over in an unexpected way. And I was miserable for days. I, I, I just, and uh, I just knew I, I at least had stepped in the process prematurely. So, um, and I ended up going. Um, I, I, after I pastored there, I, you know, I, I grew up in Canada. I did have this feeling. Sometimes God gives you this, as you just a sense that, you know, someday you will, you know, and you can fill in the blank. And, and you know it's not for now, but it's just kind of maybe it's a destiny thing. And I grew up in Canada. And I just had felt like during the years I was in Southern California, someday I thought when I, I thought when I was at, I'm at the age I'm now, I would go back to Canada and maybe pastor for a few years. Just I'd mm. go back to my homeland and do that. Well, that turned out to happen at 47 years old. I've been in California 12 years. And that wasn't dramatic. That was just some other circumstances that were miraculous worked out. Yeah. And I just felt done in Southern yeah. California. I just felt done. And so I went to Canada. It was a really unusual three years. I thought I'd be there the rest of my life. And, and uh, I'm going to tell you a story. I don't tell a lot, but, but once in a while, God can do this. The Lord just talked out loud to me. Hmm. I'd been there two years. A church had probably lost a thousand people. I was a fourth pastor in about eight or nine years. And uh, God just started giving us a supernatural sovereign turnaround. And I was two years into it. Uh, the turnaround really had already happened. It happened very quickly within the first year and a half. And I was doing a mindless house tour at, at home and uh, like making the bed or something on my day off. And out of the blue, it wasn't audible, but out of the blue, I could hear clear as a bell, the words, you're not staying in Canada and this is not the last church you're going to pastor. Wow. So the first thought that went through my mind was, oh, maybe I get to go back to Southern California someday. You know? And then I heard the second thing. And then I heard the second thing. Um, and it was, no, you're not going back to the West Coast. Uh, you're going to go to Springfield, Missouri, and the pastor at Central Assembly is about to resign. And this is what I've been pre preparing you to do all your life next. It was just wow. totally out of, out of the blue. And I, 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 I didn't know what to do with it. You know? And I thought, that's the last thing the church I pastor now needs, another pastoral change. Yeah. Plus, I, I, like I said earlier, I've never, never wanted to live in Springfield. So, I, 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 and, and then I thought, you know what? I, I've never been to one of our Bible schools. My dad's not a pastor. I don't have like, I'm loyal, but I don't have the credentials, you know, to pastor central assembly, you know, at least you got to be a little more AG than I am. So, <laughs> so I was just going crazy. I didn't have anywhere to put this, but I knew in my gut, I could literally feel it physically in my gut. I, that feeling of inevitability that it was going to happen. And so a year later, we ended up moving to Springfield. I didn't lift a finger to make anything happen. I didn't contact them. Sure enough, the pastor resigned a few months later, blah, blah. Uh, but, you know, that was one of those times God just talked to me out loud. And I didn't know all the implications. You know, I ended up general secretary and ended up being at Central. I could have never written this script. And usually, Dr. Wood used to like to say, the louder God talks to you, the bigger price you're going to have to pay to follow him, you know, I've got to speak to you. And, and, you know, I've come to like, uh, I don't know if I really want God to speak that clearly. <laughs> wow. But he can do that once in a while. That only happened once in my life for a directional decision. Yeah. Otherwise you just discern and give it time. Yeah, that's good. That's good. 
What are some of the, as you've invested in the emotional and spiritual lives of others, what are some of the biggest obstacles that you've seen that, that followers of Jesus struggle with when it comes to practicing the spiritual disciplines? You shared a little bit about the spiritual discipline and abiding with, with Jesus. Are, are there some common themes or common challenges as you've pastored and shepherded people that you see that they may bump up, bump up against? Yeah, all of us are slightly or very overtly um, type A's uh, if we're in this kind of role. We're used to initiating things. You don't become a missionary unless you're willing to pick up the phone and and book services and step out and go through those interviews. And, you know, we all, you know, we're all gifted in various ways. God's uniquely gifted us to, because he loves this world and there's something to do. So, um, one of the just kind of pragmatic things is that our personalities are often wired around accomplishing things and not just sitting and listening and being reflective. In fact, my friend Chuck Miller, um, who has worked for, done a lot of discipleship stuff and worked for the Fuller Spiritual um, uh, Formation uh, Area and equipping pastors, um, he said, you know, the church, you, know, you have the soul room and you have the leadership room. And mm. the leadership room has its own vocabulary and books and the soul room, you know. And he says the church has tended to put type A people in the leadership room and type and more reflective people in the soul room. Mm. And as a result, he said that the Western contemporary church has tended to bifurcate uh, spirituality from leadership. Wow. And uh, it is one of my personal passions to see those two things hardwired together again but i do think the spiritual dif- disciplines are we we, we just kind of are attracted to the leadership room mm. we're type a's we're maybe not quite as reflective and so whether we feel like we're wasting time or it's just hard to slow our minds down enough to not think of all the things i got to do yeah all the people are counting on me you know, so you got to do it's massive warfare in your head that way sometimes if you're type a you got to battle you just got to figure out you got to lick this battle yeah and, and you've got to develop the spiritual reflective side of your life hmm. um but but the other big obstacle i find among spiritual leaders with the spiritual disciplines is that um you know it, it has it, it it has to do with the why behind the what hmm. if the what is a spiritual discipline the question is the why hmm. And, uh, and, and if you answer the why question in terms of the means rather than the end, then uh, you're going to get frustrated with it. Hmm. Um, the means, well, well, I should study the Bible. Well, you know, technically, I'm not sure all I should do. So I really need God speaking to me or, or kind of especially with people just at the local church level, it's always, you know, we get this feeling like if, if I read my Bible for 20 minutes and spend another 20 minutes in prayer, uh, then I'll have a good day. Right? Hmm. Why? Because I will have earned brownie, brownie points from God. Hmm. You got, you got the why, why are you doing spiritual disciplines? It's, it's not, I mean, this is all about grace, right? So yeah. it's not earning favors from God. Yeah. And, and, you know, I grew up around people saying, you know, I forgot my time with the Lord that morning and I, I had a bad day all day. It's like God, <laughs> you know, I, I have to confess, I li- I've lived a crazy life the last 10 years, you know, yeah. traveling half the time. I mean, I, I'm on my way to an airport at 530 in the morning half the time. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. I mean, there are times I've missed 
you know, the typical times you might have when you're home and had a great day. I have to be honest. I had a great day because, because it's more than 45 minutes or an hour and a half in the morning. It's, it's walking in the spirit all day. It's the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Fellowship, the last verse of Second Corinthians, walk in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. That word is koinonia. That's like, a, like that glow in your heart after a great night with friends. Koinonia, connection. That's what it's all about, connection with the Holy Spirit. And that's why you do the spiritual disciplines. So if you can reframe spiritual disciplines around being connected, this is how I stay connected to the Lord. This is one way I continue to hear the voice of God. This is one way in which I, 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 I move forward in, in terms of intimacy with Jesus. This is, this is just how I do koinonia with the Holy Spirit. And, and so you focus on the ends, not the means. And if the end is the why, then it does energize uh, the what of the spiritual disciplines a bit. And also don't put, I, I, I find that sometimes, okay, you know, I've, boy, I've gone five days in a row. I've spent an hour with Jesus every morning for five days in a row. I'm just doing pretty well, right? You know, but, but sometimes then um, we, we become disillusioned because it's not all we expected to be as a result. And I found that that investing and just seeking after God through the spiritual disciplines, it's not in the context of that that I always get the answers. Uh, people say this with fasting. So you can fast a day, fast three days, you know, seeking an answer. And uh, I've heard this many, many, it's been my experience personally, many, many times the answer doesn't come till after that fast is over. But we think, well, I'm doing a spiritual discipline, so that's when God's got to speak. That's when God's got to do this and that. And you've got to get your expectations. You know, God's not a puppet. You know, spiritual disciplines aren't like pulling the strings on puppet God, you know? Yeah. They're just staying connected to him and then let him be God. Yeah. And so, so, you know, don't put a lot of emotional expectations. Don't, don't say, okay, God, I'm going to spend three hours with you this morning, like sometimes we do, you know, and you just got to talk to me during these three hours. Well, you might, you might not. Um, but the three hours of just going after him are important because it's keeping you connected. To him. Yeah, that's good. That's a good word. That's gold there. I've also heard that you have a Bradford prayer. Um, Dick Brogdon, when we were talking about uh, this interview, he said, you gotta, you gotta talk about the Bradford prayer. Could you unpack this prayer and maybe share, maybe is there a story behind it and how it functions in your life? When I was leading uh, uh, <clears throat> this little Bible study that was failing, we first went from 12 down to three. I, by the time I was getting my bachelor's degree at the University of Minnesota, decided to stay and uh, at the university for grad school. So um, there was a little continuity with this Bible study I was leading. Over the next year and a half, I grew up to 12 again. So I was partway through my second year of grad school. And we had a spiritual breakthrough that I cannot explain humanly. Instead of 12, there were 65 students showed up out of nowhere one day. And... Uh, and God's spirit fell on us. It was just like, it had been something we'd been praying into and things, but I didn't know how to make it happen. It just got sovereignly happened in the middle of a semester when people are kind of distracted with midterms and usually big things don't happen in the campus ministry mid-semester and it happened at the most unusual time. And uh, so I'm doing what I'm doing today because on Tuesday night in November of 1975, God just said now, he gave us a supernatural breakthrough. Well, the ministry started growing. Soon we were up to 100. And, uh, and it was starting to get beyond me because I never led anything in my life. And so one night, it was like the largest campus ministry meeting I'd ever seen for us. There was probably over 100 there. And I'd spoken and things. But it had just gotten away from me. 
and uh, uh, and and I was, you know, it was more than I could control, more than I knew how to control. And so I found that every time, every time something not good happened, like say a leader didn't show up to their small group or something, you know, I I started just beating myself up. I just started saying, God, if I was a better leader, that that that. You know, that usher wouldn't have messed up. That small group leader would have shown up. Or even sometimes that new convert, that student who just got saved, you know, wouldn't have relapsed and went back to the bars a few weeks later or something. If I was a better pastor. In fact, I had somebody say, I'd be a better Christian if you were a better pastor. Somebody actually said that to me. And I, I used to believe that. I used to, you know, and I realized I if I'm a lousy pastor, it probably hurts people spiritually. But on the other hand, you can't take responsibility for people's choices, you know, but I hadn't understood that yet as a young leader. I just felt responsible for everything. And then one night I've been in in the campus meeting had been bigger than I ever had been. And so it was just totally beyond me. And so I I went home and I prayed. It was, I prayed till nearly midnight that night. I said, God, I don't know how to handle, I don't know how to lead this and this is going wrong and, and that's going wrong. And, 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 you know, I, I just much, you know, I know it's grown, but I must be a terrible leader. I mean, all this stuff was getting to a step in my head. And I felt like, I'll never forget, I felt like the Lord said, here's the Bradford prayer. The Lord said, Bradford, you're killing yourself. You got to get over this. So here's what I want you to pray. As the ministry keeps growing, every time you see a problem in the ministry, I want you to pray, um, Lord, you've got another problem in your church or your campus ministry. Lord, you got another problem in your, I just you church. Lord, you got another problem in your church. Uh, so what are you going to do about it? And by the way, if you need my help, I'm available. Mm. And so what was God doing? I, I, I was, is that subtle trap as a young leader to feel like all the responsibilities on you? I, the Lord was teaching me as a young leader to offload pressure onto him. And, and, you know, normally trite things don't work very well for me, but that one really worked. I mean, I started praying that way, you know, Asher messed up, a small group leader didn't show up, a young believer backslid, you know, Lord, you got another problem. Because this is anyway, right, it's fine. What, what do I think I'm doing? It's like, like my identity's in this, like my reputation's in this, like, like it's me that's at stake here. No, it's not. It just all belongs to Jesus. I'm just kind of trying to follow what he's asked me to do. Lord, you've got another problem in your church, so what are you going to do about it? And if you need any help, I'm available. That was the pressure offloading prayer. So as I began to share that, various places later in my life became known as the Bradford Prayer. Yeah. And um, does it get easier? Has that gotten easier as you've you've prayed that prayer longer? Because honestly, you you talked about people that are type A, action-oriented. I think it is our first as leaders, we, we want to jump in and we want to solve problems. We want to do those things. Has it gotten um, easier as, as you went on in ministry to pray that prayer and trust in God in the process? Or is it a battle every day? That's a battle. Yeah, that's a battle. Yeah, yeah. What, what I didn't have figured out, though, even then, was some of the underlying to that. I, I worried that we hear so much in the church today about commitment but not much about surrender and commitments like being in the driver's seat. Still, you still have your hands on the wheel. You're determining where you're going to be committed. You got your foot on the gas pedal, how, how committed you're going to be. Yeah. And surrender means you, you actually get in the passenger seat, right? And it's Mm -hmm. a very vulnerable place. 
and in some ways the Lord was inviting me into the passenger seat, although I couldn't have articulated all of this back then. He was saying, you know, let me drive because this is my car. This is not your car. This is my car. And, um, and, and just let, let, let me do, I, I do need somebody in the passenger seat helping here, but uh, I do. And, and it, it was years and years later, in fact, even more recently in my own spiritual growth, that I'm really starting to think about commitment and surrender in two different categories. Surrender's mm-hmm. commitment is probably the fruit of surrender in some, one of them, but it's surrender. And you just live differently. Hmm. You know, some of the, uh, you know, men and women of God talk about, like Miles Sanford, he, he lists a lot of spiritual heroes the last 300 years, like D.L. Moody. And he says it took them on average 15 years to go from working for God to the place where God was working through them. Hmm. So, so that, that represents a process of a surrendered life where there's a self-emptying happens. And sometimes that's a little mystical for a self-emptying, you know, but but basically, when, when you really finally live a surrendered life, you really just are content to be in the driver's seat and not act like you own, or, or in the passenger seat, not act like you do own the car. I was acting like I owned that, that, that campus ministry, you know, and I was totally responsible for it. Yeah. Surrender means, uh, you know, I'm just along for the ride. My ego's not in this and things. And, that, and, and so that self-emptied life that comes through surrender Hmm. I think helps me reinforce the Bradford prayer and yeah. live in its freedom. Otherwise I just want to keep taking it back in my type A-ness. And, and for me, it's meant just sort of being comfortable with myself without being coming overly impressed with what I bring to the table. And I'm not that impressed with myself, you know, <laughs> honestly. Not. I mean, I mean, I, 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 I know some things I do well and I enjoy doing them, but you know, so you're comfortable, but unimpressed. And, you know, you don't, you're not doing things for you anymore. You're doing things truly kind of back to where we started because you believe in people and, yeah. and because God's called you to be a servant to people, to their potential. And, 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 and even, especially coming back to central the second time, I really decided I'm going to stay in the driver's seat. I'm really going to try to live out the Bradford prayer hmm. and let this be God's work. And, and what I've found even the second time around pastoring in the same place is, is that I try hard. I tried less hard inside. I still work hard outside. I can still put in 40, 60 hours a week, you know, but I'm just not pushing as hard to try to make things happen. I used to push hard to make things happen. And yeah. When God did the Bradford prayer, he was just starting me on a lifelong journey of saying, you don't need to push too hard. I do this stuff. This is mine. I, this is my car. I drive it. Uh, I'm paying for the gas. You know I mean? <laughs> and I'm giving you the gas. I mean, you, yeah. you don't need to you know, there's an old word we used to work, you strive, you're just striving to make things happen. And there's hard work, but there's also crossing a line to where we get out of the spirit, where we get livid, living as if we're not self-emptied, we're not surrendered. Hmm. We don't really believe that this is God's problem. This is God's church. So he's got another problem hmm. you know, and, and he's going to take the lead and doing something about it. You know, we just think the pressure is all on us, and then we start pushing too hard inside. So I, 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 I'm still working hard on the outside, but I'm honestly at this season of my life not working as hard on the inside. That's I just, I just, and and people can tell, especially I've come back around to people I used to pastor and people I pastor again. I say, Jim, you seem more relaxed now. You know, you seem, <laughs> you know, you seem more settled with yourself and all this stuff. You know, and on all of us really the fruit of the Bradford prayer, you know, which invites us to that surrendered self-emptying life. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, Pastor Jim, I appreciate you giving us your gold and these, these um, valuable um, 
pieces of information that got that we won't just take as information, but we're going to put them into action in our life. And this podcast is helping us provide clarity in life and mission and, and moving us from just knowledge into action. And um, I appreciate it so much. And I'm sure the listeners do. Would you pray for us today? The God will, will cement these things in our hearts and our lives. Father, I thank you for every partner in our shared mission that will be listening to this today. I thank you for the life and call of Jesus on them. We talked about hearing your voice, I pray. Whether uh, you just make things obvious to us or whether you talk out loud to us or whether you just back us into the right place at the right time without even realizing it, I just pray you'll guide us, you'll lead us. You just help us to walk in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit and be sensitive to your voice. And I just pray, oh God, that you'll help us all to take some next steps these next few weeks and that journey between us working for you, which is where we all start, to the place that it's just you working through us. I just pray, God, you'll help us to relax. I pray you'll give us new faith. I pray you'll help us not to drive the car. Help us just to be at the end of ourselves and just totally at peace and trusting you. I just pray you renew our hearts for you, that the spiritual disciplines be out of hunger for you and not duty or not earning your favor. I pray, oh God, that you just keep us hungry for you, dependent on you, loving you. Lord, let your spirit, let your grace be upon every one of us. And I pray that everyone listening will be multiplied by your power, that you will do things through them that that they just can't account for because they're just letting you do it and just following and obeying you. Thank you for it. Thank you for every person. Thank you for Aaron, his gracious hosting this time. In Jesus' name.